The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And uh, welcome again, everybody. So again, my name is Mark Nunberg. How many of you I know, but I'm sure there are new people to the Buddhist Studies series, and this is week two of eight classes. We're studying the Buddhist teachings on the Four Noble Truths, one of the central maps. And as a map, it's not the thing itself, right? There's nothing sacred about the Four Noble Truths. They exist as a map that point the mind, the heart, to a way of experiencing this moment, any moment, that clarifies the moment, leads to a deeper understanding, deeper insight into the way life experience has been, is, and will always be, right? So we're just trying to have, using these maps from a wise person like the Buddha and our spiritual ancestors, their comments about these maps over the centuries, right? We're using this inheritance from our spiritual ancestors as pointing out instructions to open to the moment, to the reality of our lives, and basically to see or open to what we haven't seen or open to yet. And the promise is from our teachers that this Buddha knowing Dhamma, right, these two refuges, leads to something profoundly healing, profoundly liberating, and a way of participating we call Sangha, this sort of enlightened, this awakened participation in all the ways that we engage life. It will have the flavor of love and wisdom and compassion, this engagement in our lives. So this is the, uh, this is the instruction and this is for us to check out for ourselves what happens when we cultivate this awaken this buddha quality this capacity to be stable and clear and intimate and open with dhamma the way it is the changing conditions of the moment what is the effect on our lives who do we become when i'm buddha knowing dhamma when i'm awake and open intimate with the conditions of my life. How is that transforming? And the question is, are we interested? And so for these eight weeks, we're using this particular map, one of the most well-known, most used maps in the early Buddhist tradition, but you'll find it in any of the Buddhist schools, the later schools of Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths are a central teaching in all the schools of Buddhism. And they're talked about in different ways. The basic formulation is this very uh, grounding, I think, and sobering pointing out from the Buddha, hey, there is suffering. Or we could say, you know what? It isn't easy being a human being. Have you noticed? It isn't easy. And this difficulty that comes with the territory of being a human being, you know, it really 
exists on different frequencies. There's sort of the ordinary reality of things not being easy for us for us human beings, like there are mosquitoes that want to suck our blood, and there's the aging process, and there's the frustrations of, of power plays, and people who have power not wanting to share the power that they have, and people who don't want power feeling exploited or taken advantage of, and all the strife involved in that dynamic, right? And it's endless. So there's the ordinary mental and physical dukkha, stress, unpleasantness, but this dukkha exists in much more subtle ways, which I'll talk about tonight. So the first noble truth, right, it's cultivating this insight. We're really using our life and we're aligning it like we're using this map now and I'm going to align it with the map which says, hey, there's dukkha here. <laughs> and we see that when we are observing another person and we see that when we're observing our own life. Oh, And we're not saying all of life is dukkha, all of life is stressful. We're just saying, you know what, there is stress in life. There is something limited and unreliable and uncertain and unsatisfactory about being a human being, right? This isn't so much of a stretch when we have a balanced and honest look. And then we'll get in the weeks ahead, the second noble truth, there's uh, this stress that we experience, the limitations, the unreliableness of life, the difficulty, it arises, difficulty arises conditionally due to causes and conditions. So we're seeing suffering as a natural process that have supports. When those supports are there, then my heart feels oppressed, then my heart feels squeezed, and my heart is tight. Right? Oh, there's a cause. And the, the key with the second noble truth is locating the cause here in the moment in how my mind is understanding and relating. To see that I am, this is a real powerful liberating insight, I am participating in my suffering. Doesn't mean that outside circumstances don't matter. You know, if somebody is hurting us, it's not to say that what that person is saying, what that person is doing, isn't affecting me. Clearly, you know, bad weather is disappointing. When somebody's being mean or oppressing us, that hurts. Those are simple truths, right? No one's denying that. But what we don't nor normally notice, unless we've been inspired to look, is the kind of meaning, the way my mind is relating how I'm understanding my experience deeply contributes to my experience of stress. So we're really looking at how the mind is, this mind, is participating in its own suffering. And that's the second noble truth. First is just being interested and having a more honest understanding of this truth of life. There is suffering. And with that honesty and that more stable, curious, open 
relationship with this truth of dukkha, we see, oh, it's a conditioned process. And part of the supporting conditions when any human heart is experiencing suffering is the understanding, the way of relating, what that mind itself is doing, how it's relating. That is a contributing, supporting factor in the arising of stress, of difficulty, of suffering. Ah, there is a cause. And then the third noble truth is, when that cause is removed, there is the experience of no suffering, taste of liberation, a real sense of the freedom that is available. But here's the important thing, this freedom, this release of the squeeze in the heart isn't because all of a sudden conditions are the way I want them. This third noble truth is really pointing to a freedom that arises when the thorn, as it is described in one of the suttas, one of the discourses of the Buddha, is removed from the heart. This habit of grasping, of clinging, of attaching. Now, this is not something for us to believe in. These words, this map, is it, it exists to support our curiosity so we actually look. Because, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm regularly having moments where the, the heart feels squeezed, is tight, is burdened, is struggling all day long. There are little moments, sometimes bigger moments, when this feeling of being burdened arises for me. And now we can look, okay, am I willing to have an honest acceptance of the reality of dukkha? Oh, in this moment there is dukkha. It's like this. And oh, as I have a more honest, a more relaxed, a more open relationship with this experience I'm calling dukkha, suffering, I see that it's a natural, conditional process. It depends on certain supporting causes. And some of those supporting causes are how my mind is relating. And as I am close and intimate with the dukkha, I'm not trying to make it go away. I'm just desiring to understand it, to see it as it is. We wake up to something. Oh, when there's this identification, this personalizing of desire, this clinging, and when we see this cause, then it supports the releasing of what that support was. We don't actually personally stop attachment or stop identification or stop grasping. We see grasping for what it is. Wisdom understands, oh, this is grasping. This is the cause of the stress that is being experienced. It is that patient recognition, that patient correlation between the grasping, the clinging, the attachment, and the releasing that allows, uh, the grasping and the suffering that leads to the releasing. And we'll get to that in the next two weeks, the cause. And then the experience of release, and then the path. That's the fourth noble truth. So it's a little preview on where we're going. Now tonight, uh, I mentioned briefly at the beginning, and I mentioned it last week, every other week we'll have small groups. So tonight, Michelle, one of our leaders, 
um, is going to help me uh, or help you rather organize yourself into small groups. Now this is optional, but it's strongly encouraged whether you do it tonight, going to the Zoom meeting at uh, 8.35 Central Time, or on your own in the next few days at home, maybe you have a Dharma friend, another person who practices where you can have this conversation. But really set up an opportunity to share and to hear someone else share like how you've honestly located ordinary experiences of dukkha. And it isn't the difficult person at work that's dukkha. Dukkha is something you're experiencing in your heart. Now that arising of that feeling of stress in your heart might be correlated to the presence of this difficult person at work, but it isn't the difficult person of work I'm talking about. What you're going to share is, what is that experience of your heart being burdened, your heart being tight, squeezed, heavy, right, oppressed? What is that? And not like, oh, it's bad, but like, it, can you actually be curious? And so what I said for the homework for last week is, map out a few places where you regularly feel some of that burdensomeness, that stress in your heart, tightness, right, constriction, and then resolve in some of these more regular places. Maybe it's traffic, maybe it's this difficult issue you have with your partner that just comes with a lot of that heaviness of heart. doesn't matter what it is. But resolve then for several of these places where you see that experience of dukkha, resolve, this is my teacher. And I'm going to do my best to bring some real humility to this experience of dukkha. Like to understand there's probably stuff here that I'm not seeing yet. Which means I don't even know what to look for. Because I don't know what it is. But I'm told, right, by my spiritual ancestors that there's something here to wake up to. And so we're really moved to do that awakening, to be interested. So for each of the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha maps out three specific insights that really are part of that training for the heart to understand there is Dukkha. So this is the First Noble Truth. So there will be a total of 12 of these insights. Tonight we'll just talk about the first three that are associated with the ennobling experience of dukkha. Right? So it's ennobling, this experience of dukkha. Truth just means, yeah, the way it is. Oh, there is this, like I mentioned last week, when the axle of a cart isn't in true, like the hole in the wheel or the axle itself is a little, uh, hasn't been crafted right or got warped in some way, well, the cart is not going to work very well and it's always going to be clunky, it's always going to be rough. And this is what human beings find in life. There is this roughness, this limitation, this unreliableness, this uncertainty this ungovernableness, this stressfulness, this unsatisfactoriness. So normally the word dukkha gets translated as suffering, as I mentioned last week, 
but it has this more nuance from the gross, obvious suffering of it's too hot or my knee hurts or that insult really cut deep and my I don't feel good that you said that to me. Right? Those are the ordinary experiences. We call that dukkha dukkha. So it's the dukkha, it's the stress of unpleasantness. This is the most obvious kind of dukkha that we human beings, probably all beings, ex experience, right? And this is both physical dukkha, physical unpleasantness, and also mental unpleasantness, right? So this is a lot of what we normally understand by stress or difficulty, this dukkha dukkha. But it's a real beginning and liberating to begin to acknowledge honestly. So in your small groups tonight or later this week, whenever you have this conversation, check in with a Dharma friend. And if, you know, for whatever reason, you're not going to take up my encouragement, then maybe just journal or take a walk and have this conversation with yourself. Map out those places clearly as you can where there's dukkha. Resolve that they're teachers and then start listening to what they have to teach you. Oh, there is dukkha. It's relevant. It has been understood. That means you really have opened seeing what you hadn't seen yet about that experience of dukkha. And one of the ways that this insight develops is you start seeing three levels of dukkha. So I've talked about the first one, dukkha dukkha, the stress of unpleasantness, mental unpleasantness and physical unpleasantness. Very ordinary. But even when things are going well and the particular circumstances are quite nice in my life, the weather's nice, people are treating me nicely, my body feels okay, then look in those moments. If you're curious, you're not trying to undermine the niceness of the moment. You're just trying to see things as they are. And you might start catching this next kind of dukkha, viparanama dukkha. And you could call this the dukkha of change, right? So this is the, the stress that uh, arises when things are going well, but there's some sliver of wisdom that understand, you know, I can't really depend on these nice circumstances. I'm not really in control of them lasting. So where it's a nice day, but it's like we're already sensing that it's slipping through our fingers because it's already becoming tomorrow, you know, and then we won't, you know, have these nice conditions that we're experiencing right now. So just to notice that even when conditions are nice, it's somehow limited. We can't really take advantage in the way that the heart, the sort of, let's call it the ignorant, the not-so-wise heart, it really wants this experience to be my salvation. So like when you eat ice cream or when you're watching a funny show, it, it changes our enjoyment when we realize, you know, this will be funny for another 10 minutes and then the show is going to be over. Right? It, it can, 
So what happens when we're having nice experience and we're more honest as opposed to this underlying stress of having to deny that this nice experience is limited? It might be more peaceful and actually more pleasant to acknowledge the limitation or the impermanent nature of our nice experiences. They might become more poignantly pleasant, beautiful, and satisfying. Not perfectly satisfying, just less stressful when we realize, I can't actually count on this experience. This is especially important if you're interested in, I think, uh, helping your important friendships and partnerships and marriages to thrive is cultivate that perception of impermanence in your most important relationships with your children, with your partners, with your dear friends, with your pets. Try to, like especially in those pleasant moments, see if you can, even as you're participating in the pleasantness, can the mind, can wisdom include the reality of impermanence? This won't last. This won't always be this way. I can't actually count on this. And it's really nice being with this person. It's really nice doing this together. And I can't count on this. It will be this way for a while. And then inevitably it will end. It will change. It will go away. That's just how it works. Do it with your vacations. Do it with everything. And see where, where, what kind of impression, what sort of person we become. And there's an even more subtle kind of dukkha. So we have dukkha dukkha. It's the suffering of the ordinary mental and physical unpleasantness in life. Like when we're expo exposed to unpleasant experience. There's viparinama dukkha, right? when we realize that pleasant experience can't really save me, can't really be counted on. It's just not dependable. And then the last, the most subtle, is called Sankara Dukkha. So you could call this the Dukkha, the stress that is inherent in experience, in, you know, constructed experience. Because from my ordinary point of view, we don't say this out loud, but when we're really honest and we look carefully from our ordinary point of view, we're really looking for something in our experiencing of life. We expect the experiences in life to somehow feed something that needs to be fed in my heart. We're trying to get something from experience, right? all the time. And this is related to our liking some experiences and our not liking others and our ignoring a lot of neutral experience. But there's this basic, in Buddhist terms, wrong idea that the world of experience is here to deliver something to me. That my sense experience is really going to save me. So there's this mental dependence, this idea of me being dependent on experience. And I'd be screwed without it, right? And I'm dependent, like if it's the wrong experience, then I'm 
feel threatened by it. And if it's the right experience, I feel saved by it. So Sankara Dukkha is pointing to this more subtle uneasiness, the subtle instability of being identified or understanding that experience, I'm dependent on it, right? And th that is like uh, someone described it as sitting in a chair that's old and ready to fall apart. You know, it might be fine, but we, we can't really trust it to hold our weight. It's just a matter of time. And so there's a little uneasiness. So as we chase experiences, the nice ones, and run away from the painful experiences and always strategizing to find that sort of perfect place where we have what we want and we don't have what we don't want, we notice that this, you could call it a kind of existential hunger around experience, just worldly life experience. This is Sankara Dukkha. So, in your small groups tonight, you know, maybe just start with the more obvious, but if you have ex examples of these two more subtle kinds of dukkha, it would be really nice. And just in the weeks ahead, just to be mapping out places where you notice sankara dukkha. This sort of like, uh, even in meditation, when the mind is really calm, there's just something about having a mind and body, having this deep habit, this deep groove in our mind to look toward experience, almost like, you know, this very deep habit humans have that nature, you know, woods, streams, the earth, is really here to serve my needs. I'm here to exploit, to take what I want from the world. And like when we have dominion over power over another person or over other stuff, my possessions, you know, the, so the, just that way of relating to experience and relating to the world has an instability and insecurity built into it. And that pleasant experiences aren't dependable and that just being, having a mind and body means we're vulnerable to pain unpleasant mental and unpleasant physical experiences. So we want to map them out. We want to acknowledge, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything about this. Maybe I want to be a good student. And so the three insights, there is dukkha. It should be understood. It has been understood. First is recognizing just this honest acknowledgement it isn't easy being a human being. And then this deepening of that insight, you know what, there's probably, I think I know what unpleasant experience is, like the weather, I don't like it when it's this way, or I don't like it when people treat me this way. But that doesn't mean we've seen everything about that ache, that squeeze in my heart. Let me get interested. And remember when we're interested then we're not in that moment trying to protect ourselves. And that's really the shift here when we go to, oh, this is a teacher, this should be understood. It means we're giving up, for a moment at least, and trying to protect myself from stress. And we're interested to, because 
if we're really going to understand dukkha, stress, we have to just let it do its thing. We have to let it express itself. So we need to feel safe enough, comfortable enough, secure enough, not perfectly secure, but just enough so we're willing to let whatever tightness do its dance. So we can see, oh, this is dukkha. It's here. It's not that obnoxious sound I'm hearing or that irritating person I'm around. The dukkha I'm experiencing is here. That's the key. Because the way our thinking mind works is we externalize things. And we want to realize that the suffering of not liking my knee pain is here. The irritation I'm feeling about politics or dread is here. See, we're, we're learning to own, take responsibility, because this is where some real tra transformation can happen. We're taking responsibility here. Sariputta, the Buddha's chief disciple at the time of the Buddha, said in one of the talks, there are three forms of stressfulness, unsatisfactoriness, my friends. The stressfulness of pain, the stressfulness of change, and the stressfulness of fabrication. These are the three forms of stressfulness of dukkha. So part of this work with the First Noble Truth that really can help us go from there is dukkha, it should be understood, it has been understood. One of the things that is really useful to bring in is this like question. Don't, don't make it a belief or a should, but this question. Is opening to dukkha liberating? And I, I think I might have mentioned it last week, but I often bring it up because I, I found it a really powerful little teaching from Sharon Salzberg where she says that dukkha, suffering, is not redemptive, but opening, being interested in suffering, it's actually, that's what's redemptive, that's what is healing and liberating. So we want to bring in that idea and so in your small groups tonight, you can even share like where in your life have you uh, had the experience of being interested in dukkha? Like, oh, there's, there's something to learn here. There's something healing and liberating about bringing some humility and some openness, some kindness, forgiveness into this experience of my heart hurting, feeling oppressed, feeling tight, feeling stressed. Oh. And another way is to, then as we learn, you know, because it, it takes some learning how to continue to be aware of dukkha, right? We're studying dukkha as a meditation object. We're learning to be open. Is it liberating? And then when there's doubt, like, really challenge yourself. Like, how do I know that this experience of dukkha is a mistake? What I know is that it feels like this, that it's heavy, that it's tight, 
that it's hard to bear, right? These are the simple, you know, subjective experiences of stress. But that doesn't mean it's a mistake. We really want to change that uh, from interpreting interpreting it in personal terms just seeing it as a conditional or a natural process. Oh yeah, when there's this, there's this. When there are these causes, these supporting causes, there's this. When there aren't these supporting causes, there's not this squeeze in the heart. <laughs> I was reading um, some writings by Verna Myers, a well-known activist, um, and diversity teacher, and uh, she's a black woman. And she was just talking about, you know, the work of anti-racism and just saying, you're not going to get comfortable before you're willing to get uncomfortable. So this is true with this general work of, of opening to this first noble truth. There is dukkha. It isn't easy being a human being. And then let's add this think from Verna, like, and we're never going to get comfortable in the situation of being a human being unless we're willing to get interested in the experience of being uncomfortable. If instead I just always choose to run away from the discomfort in life, from the uneasiness, to hide, to project that I know more than I know, to pretend that I know why I'm uncomfortable, any kind of de de defensive maneuver is never going to lead to the end of discomfort. So what actually seems to lead to the end of discomfort is this willingness to get uncomfortable. And you see how useful this is everywhere in life. It's useful in our intimate relationships. We're never going to have a good friendship unless at least in moments we're willing to be uncomfortable because the relationship has to be real. If it isn't real, it's not going to be a very stable, useful, helpful, beautiful relationship. Same with our work in the community and dealing with deeper issues in our communities. If we're not willing to see what we're not seeing, hear what we haven't heard, then the deeper healing isn't going to happen. And this is true with our spiritual work as well. So I'll leave it here. I think I've said enough to hopefully get you started. I appreciate uh, Michelle for helping us organize these small groups. Here's what I wrote in the weekly email. Um, map out a few places in your life where dukkha arises stress, mental entanglements, heaviness of heart, mental torments, then skillfully make a resolve to perceive one or two of these difficult places as a teacher. Remember, the Buddha states that insight into the reality of dukkha is liberating. How can this be real for us in our lives? So how, you can share that. Like, how has your own opening to difficulty been useful? And you see that Michelle has put the link. It's also underneath your YouTube screen, but she just put it in the live chat. So anybody who wants now 
can just go to that Zoom room. You're going to have to wait a minute or two when, to let everybody who's going to come in, come in. And then Michelle will divide you up into groups of four or five. I'm sorry, in groups of three, although some might have four. And then introduce yourselves, share your pronouns so that people aren't misgendering. Each person will get about three minutes to speak. One of you should uh, uh, just volunteer to be the timer. During your three minutes, it's really your time to share on the subject that we've been talking about, I've been talking about tonight. And then once you've each have had some time to share, then the remaining five to ten minutes just have an open discussion. Uh, usually Michelle will call everybody back at the end and just a chance to say hi and say goodnight to each other and it should all end at nine. And if you decide not to do the optional small groups, then please find a time to reflect on your own or to find a friend to have this conversation with. And we'll come back next week and we'll start looking at the second noble truth. Remember, there are lots of readings you can do. And I sent that out in the weekly in the emails for the class, some resources. Of course, there are many others you can track down for yourself. Thanks, everybody. Have a nice conversation, those of you who are going to do that. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.